0: Hey guys, I'm Tom Butler-Boden. It's fantastic to have you with us again on another episode of Book Insights. If you're a regular listener, you'll know what we do. Deep dives into the greatest non-fiction books. Each Book Insight is split into three parts and runs to 20 to 30 minutes. We're pretty agnostic about what we cover. Some of the books are recent bestsellers and others are ancient classics. But the thread running through all of the choices is that every book can improve your life or your work in some way, or just make you think and re-evaluate. So today's book insight, we're looking at Sean Aker's The Happiness Advantage, subtitled How a Positive Brain Fuels Success in Work and Life. The title sounds great, doesn't it? But is happiness something that can actually be engineered? One of the books that's had the biggest impact on me was Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You've probably heard of it or read it. If you haven't, we're going to cover it in Book Insights. Viktor Frankl was put into Nazi concentration camps in World War II and managed to survive, emigrate to America and tell his story. You wouldn't expect someone who'd been through that to be a bundle of laughs, and he wasn't. Frankl became a psychologist and pioneered something called logotherapy, or the psychology of meaning. The basic idea was that it's foolish to pursue happiness in this world directly. Rather, our task is to make sense of it and find meaning. We might gain a measure of happiness in life, but only as an unintended byproduct of the meaning we find in work or suffering. I always subscribed to this view of happiness, even after I'd read a lot of positive psychology books, like Martin Seligman's Learned Optimism which we're going to cover in the next episode, and even after I'd read piles of self-help books. To me, the formula of meaning first, happiness second, seemed about right. Then I discovered Buddhism. In Buddhism, happiness is everything. You're expected to constantly practice and work on yourself so that you're a happier person. That sounds a bit selfish at first, and pretty different to the suffering and forgiveness angle that you see in some types of Christianity, for instance. But the reason Buddhism emphasizes being happy is that happy people bring the most benefit to others. It's hard to be of much benefit to anyone when you're angry or sad or depressed or anxious. When you're happy, you radiate goodness, and it's contagious. You limit the negative things you can do to yourself and to others. It's so simple, and yet I came to realize very true. Sean Acor's book is different. It's about the link between happiness and success. A few years ago, I would have been sceptical that happiness drives success, but he points to a wealth of studies that he believes demonstrates the link. I'll leave you to decide, but make sure you keep listening to the end because we look at some of the potential criticisms of the happiness advantage. We're going to keep the positive theme going for the next few episodes. As well as next week's show on Martin Seligman's Learned Optimism, we'll be covering books like The Compound Effect, David and Goliath, and Think and Grow Rich. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on the platform you're listening to. That way you'll get a weekly notification of new episodes. And by the way, if you'd like 24-7 unlimited access to a library of over 100 book insights, just go to memo.com forward slash insights you'll see the link posted on the podcast description. I'd love your feedback on the podcast, now we've been going for a few episodes, so please leave your comments or at least rate it. Okay, let's get into the book insight itself on The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker.
1: Everyone wants to be happy, in fact, The pursuit of happiness is recognized as a universal human right. But how can we achieve it? Our parents, teachers, and bosses often instill in us a belief that once we've attained success, happiness will follow. It's a mantra repeated over the course of our lives. Studying hard is required to get a good job. Working hard is essential to making money. Making money allows us to finally kick back and enjoy life in retirement. But this formula is backward. Sean Aker, one of the most prominent researchers in the science of positivity, argues that the state of happiness drives success by helping us reach our potential, not the other way around. In 2010, he distilled decades of research into one practical guide, the happiness advantage. The book introduces us to the study of happiness, a field known as positive psychology and provide specific techniques that can be applied in everyday life, regardless of age, education, or income. Happiness is a skill, Aker believes, and practicing it will transform your life for the better. Positive people are healthier, fitter, more creative, get more insights, and are more productive. They're also energetic, resilient, enjoy stronger relationships, and even live longer. So what qualifies Sean Aker to challenge the conventional wisdom around happiness? Growing up in Texas, Aker imagined that he'd spend the rest of his life there. He'd only ever left the state four times. But one day, on a whim, he applied to Harvard just to say that he tried. Aker knew the odds were against him. Even if he was selected, his family didn't have any money for college. But to his amazement, he managed to get in on a military scholarship, Aker loved Harvard so much that he ended up staying for 12 years. Working as a student officer who counseled undergraduates, he discovered that most pupils weren't so thrilled about attending the most prestigious university in the world. Instead, they fretted about the workload, the pressure to compete, and what their future might hold. Aker wanted to understand why. He began studying the link between happiness and success, eventually becoming a champion of positive psychology. Even though his academic background was in the philosophy of religion, Aker's engaging mix of research, humor, and practical advice has seen him become a best-selling author and speaker who teaches people around the world how to flourish. In this book insight, we'll analyze the themes in The Happiness Advantage, The Seven Principles That Fuel Success and Performance at Work. We'll begin by introducing simple happiness boosters that can be incorporated into your daily routine immediately. Then, we'll discuss how to develop a happier mindset. Next, you'll learn how to achieve goals like a master. Finally, we'll explore how to utilize your greatest asset. Moments of positivity spread throughout the day are just as crucial to our well-being as larger shifts in behavior or thinking. Even watching a funny video or talking with a friend can significantly boost cognitive power and job performance. Here is Sean Aker during his 2011 TED Talk on happiness at work.
2: Exercise teaches your brain that your behavior matters. We find that meditation allows your brain to get over the cultural ADHD that we've been creating by trying to do multiple tasks at once, and allows our brains to focus on the task at hand. And finally, random acts of kindness or conscious acts of kindness. And by doing these activities, and by training your brain, just like we train our bodies, what we found is we could reverse the formula for happiness and success, and in doing so, not only create ripples of positivity, but create a real revolution.
1: Here are 7 proven techniques to lift your spirits. If you want to be happier, taking care of your physical health is a must. But you don't have to become an Olympic athlete to reap the benefits of exercise. Aker urges us to walk, bike, run, play, stretch, jump rope, pogo stick. It doesn't matter as long as you get moving. Any type of regular physical activity improves your mood, leaving you feeling energized and more in control of your life. To show just how much of a difference this can make to our mental health, Akers cites a study from Duke University where depressed patients were divided into three groups. The first received antidepressant medication. The second exercised for 45 minutes three times a week, while the last group did both. After four months of the program, all the groups experienced similar boosts in happiness, suggesting that exercise can be just as effective as antidepressants when the three groups were retested half a year later. Only 9% of the people in the exercise group relapsed into depression, compared with 38% of those who only took the antidepressants, and 31% of those who combined medication with exercise. If you're not exactly thrilled at the thought of working out, don't worry. Research has shown that simply finding something to look forward to can light up our brain's pleasure center. It's why we feel good just anticipating vacations abroad, romantic rendezvous, or movie nights with friends. In one 2006 study, people who merely thought about watching their favorite movie raised their endorphin levels by 27%. That's a much cheaper pick-me-up than buying cinema tickets. Next time you plan something fun, remember to check your calendar whenever you need a spike of positivity. Another proven way of decreasing stress and improving health is to carry out what Sean Aker calls conscious acts of kindness for friends and strangers alike. Psychologist Sonia Lubomirsky, author of The How of Happiness, found that people who choose to do five good things for others over the course of a single day every week report feeling happier than control groups, and the feeling lasts for days to come. The next time you fill up a loyalty card at your favourite cafe, for example, you could hand it to the next customer in line but even a kind word, a smile, or a small favor count. The more unexpected the act of kindness, the nicer it'll feel for both you and the recipient. Believe it or not, you can buy your way to happiness. But that doesn't mean you should become a shopaholic. On the contrary, buying stuff for yourself won't help your well-being in the long term. Instead, you're better off investing in experiences shared with other people. Research suggests activities like visiting a theme park with friends produce longer-lasting and more meaningful positivity than splurging on material things. The next happiness booster is infusing positivity into your surroundings. Our physical environment has enormous potential to affect our mindset. Being contained by a cubicle in a busy office is unlikely to make anyone happy. But we can foster a greater sense of agency by tailoring that space to enhance our mood. Just glancing at pictures of a loved one can produce a hit of positive emotion. Meanwhile, regularly escaping for a walk outside to enjoy the weather has been proven to not only boost our mood, but increase productivity. Ager also emphasizes the importance of practicing our signature strengths. We've all heard about the need to improve areas of weakness. But in fact, every time we do something we're good at, whether it's cooking or coding, we feel better. Even more satisfying, however, is utilizing a specific strength of our character. In a study at the University of Pennsylvania, a team of psychologists developed a catalog of 24 cross-cultural strengths. They found that those who could apply their chief strength in a new way every day for a week felt significantly happier, and the effect lasted long after the experiment. Finally. Meditate. There are all sorts of ways to practice, but anyone can start at any age by simply following these instructions. First, concentrate on your breath. When your mind starts to wander, gently return your focus to the rise and fall of your breath. That's really all there is to it. The happiest people in the world happen to be Buddhist monks, whose brains have been shown to be functionally superior to those who don't meditate. In fact, Just 5 minutes of daily meditation can permanently rewire your brain for the better. So it's great to feel happier, but are there other benefits? Positive emotions, Aker says, flood our brains with the feel-good chemicals of dopamine and serotonin. These chemicals increase activity in the parts of our brains related to learning. They allow us to make more connections, think more creatively, organize new information, and be able to keep and retrieve that information more easily. In short, being happier makes us better problem solvers. This empowers us, which fuels even more happiness. Plus, we become more valuable to the people around us, whether they are family, friends, or colleagues. Let's pause for now. Next, we'll continue our book insight on The Happiness Advantage. We'll take a look at steps to developing a happier mindset.
3: Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over a hundred titles you can read or listen to now at memodapp.com/insights. That's m-e-m-o-d-a-p-p.com/insights.
1: We are continuing our deep dive into The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker. In this part, we'll learn how to develop a happier mindset and discover an easier way to achieve goals. The overarching message of The Happiness Advantage is that if you can change your thinking, you can change your life. The key to improving our performance in the long term is based on two factors. How much power we believe we have And the mindset we use to apply that power. Both of these things are constantly in flux. When combined, they can change not just how an experience feels, but the outcome it produces. For example, take a groundbreaking study by Ellen Langer, the Harvard psychologist who mentored Aker. She conducted a week long experiment in which a group of 75 year old men not only felt younger afterward, but became younger. In 1979, The men were taken on a week-long retreat where they had to pretend it was twenty years earlier. Nothing from after the year 1959 was allowed on site. They would read publications from that time and talk about their experiences of that era in the present tense. They even wore badges of pictures of their younger selves. After the study, the men showed significant improvements in physical strength, eyesight, cognition, memory, and even intelligence which had traditionally been considered fixed from adolescence. But the most remarkable result was their appearance. When random people were shown pictures of the men from before and after the experiment, they rated the latter image as looking three years younger on average. Despite the fact that they were really just one week older, these significant physiological differences were purely down to changing their mindset. We've all heard of the placebo effect, where merely believing that you're taking a particular pill can result in significant pain reduction, improvement in health, and other effects. Self-fulfilling prophecies work in the same way. For example, when several Asian women were given math tests as part of a study at Harvard, they performed worse when they were primed to reflect on their gender, as women are stereotypically believed to be worse at math than men. On another occasion, when their Asian identity was highlighted, the women did much better than before. The difficulty of the questions hadn't changed, and neither had their IQ. The only difference was thinking of themselves as Asian people who were often perceived as math whizzes. Perhaps the most famous study of self-fulfilling prophecy is by Robert Rosenthal and Lenore Jacobson from 1965. They administered intelligence tests to children in a primary school, then told the teachers which students scored the highest and showed the most potential. The teachers were also told that the results couldn't be shared with anyone, nor could the gifted students be treated any differently. At the end of the year, after another test of intellectual ability, it was shown that the pupils previously identified as the most intelligent did indeed show the most improvement. That wouldn't be notable in itself. The remarkable part was that the gifted students had been randomly selected from the beginning. As a group, they were perfectly average and didn't possess any extraordinary intellectual abilities. But since their teachers expected them to outperform everyone else, those expectations affected them and became reality. Has there ever been someone in your life who really believed in you? If so, it probably made you more confident in your abilities and inspired you to live up to their expectations as a result. You can apply this principle to any area of your life, not just work. It can even help you get physically fitter without doing any exercise, changing your diet, or taking any food supplements. If that sounds impossible, consider the following experiment. As part of a 2007 Harvard study, cleaning staff from seven hotels were divided into two groups. One half was told how much exercise they were getting thanks to their work. They were told the number of calories being burned and the similarities between vacuuming and cardio workouts. The other half was a control group who were told nothing. You can imagine what happened. A few weeks later, those who thought of their work as healthy exercise lost weight, reduced their cholesterol levels, and got fitter. It's studies like this that make Aker convinced that the mental construction of our daily activities, more than the activity itself, defines our reality. Here is author Sean Aker himself discussing this on the Harvard Business Review Idea Podcast.
2: This is in the fall of 2008, right before the busy tax season of 2009, which was going to be the worst in recorded history. And we just took 50% of their tax audit managers and trained them on positive psychology, giving them this research, arming them with it, encouraging them to create one positive habit over a 21-day period. We then tested them, and a few days after the training, they were significantly happier than the control group who had not received the training. Their job satisfaction was higher.
1: Let's finish this section on attitude with a theory developed by Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck. In her best-selling book, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, she argues that there are two kinds of people. Those with the fixed mindset, and those with a growth mindset. Someone with a fixed mindset believes that they are naturally good or bad at things. For example, they might excel at cooking, but struggle with numbers so they're not going to bother working on the latter. People with a growth mindset, on the other hand, believe that they can overcome their weaknesses by applying themselves. They'll try anything, and then work to become good at it. Dweck found that the growth mindset type of person outperforms the fixed in almost every area of human endeavor. According to Aker, this is the key message of positive psychology, that change and growth are always possible. When we grow, we feel a sense of mastery that naturally contributes to happiness. Ager found the perfect model for accomplishment in an unlikely place, a 1998 movie starring Antonio Banderas. In The Mask of Zorro, the actor plays Alejandro, a drunken thief who struggles with depression. When an old swordmaster named Don Diego comes along, He remembers Alejandro from when he was a child. Seeing some potential, he resolves to train him. To kickstart that process, Don Diego draws a small circle on the ground. He then forbids Alejandro to step outside it until his protege masters the art of fencing within this close range. Only then is he allowed to progress to more advanced training. Alejandro doesn't transform into Zorro overnight, but, by mastering that small circle, he begins to change from someone of no command over his emotions into a swashbuckling hero. One of the biggest factors behind long-term success is believing that our actions matter. By breaking things down into small, manageable parts, we don't get distracted or worried by the bigger picture. Instead, we see that our efforts count for something, and that makes us feel more in control of the outcome. We experience the opposite sensation when deadlines, tasks, and other distractions of modern life overwhelm us. It can feel like whatever you do, regardless of how much effort is invested, there will never be enough hours in the day to get on top of things. This is called emotional hijacking, in which the rational part of our brain is overpowered by the limbic system, our emotional brain. Over the course of millennia, humans have evolved to react to stressful situations with the fight-or-flight response. This was essential for our ancestors to survive in the wilderness. But in today's world, the same impulse can seriously hamper our productivity and decision-making abilities. We can avoid this common pitfall, Aker points out, with a little self-awareness. Just verbalizing what we're feeling by writing it down or confiding in someone we trust is the first step, or Zoro circle, towards regaining clarity. The next stage is identifying which aspects of the scenario you have control over and which ones you don't. This narrows our scope of action, focusing energy on where we can make a difference. As an example of how to put these learnings into practice, Aker describes how he visited an incredibly messy room belonging to a Harvard freshman named Joey. Every inch of space seemed to be filled with pizza boxes, empty bottles, scattered papers, and textbooks. The scale of disorder seemed so huge that Joey felt depressed whenever he entered his room. He gradually gave up all hope of ever cleaning it. That inspired Aker to draw a little Zorro circle on Joey's desk. He told the student to clean just that tiny space and protect it from clutter as if his life depended on it. Even that proved difficult, but Joey managed to do it. With each passing day, the circle expanded slightly. Within just two weeks, the room was spotless. This simple technique can be applied to any goal. After each little step, you'll not only feel in control of that particular task, but your life will seem more manageable and positive overall. To a large extent, our behavior is automatic. According to William James, one of the fathers of modern psychology, humans are mere bundles of habits. That's why it's critical to set our routines towards the direction we want our life to move in, rather than letting habits lead us astray and it only takes a moment, which leads us to Aker's 20-second rule. If the idea of changing your life in 20 seconds sounds too good to be true, that's because it is. Unless you have an epiphany or make a life-altering decision, a fraction of a minute is unlikely to feel significant. But you may be surprised by how consistently making small decisions can compound over time to create a new you. Here is Sean Aker speaking on this happy habits idea on the Harvard Business Review podcast.
2: There's a whole host of these habits that you can actually change the way your brain processes the world. Everything from you starting each workday with writing down three things you're grateful for, or starting a meeting with three things you're grateful for, actually changes the way in which your brain processes the challenges your team is about to deal with. Small things like that have huge implications and actually ripple through an entire organization, which is the research we've been looking at.
1: To test this out in his own life, Aker decided to take up the guitar again. He began tracking his progress on a spreadsheet, only to lose motivation after four days. He found himself following the path of least resistance each evening, which was lying on the couch and grabbing the TV remote while his guitar stayed in the closet. Realizing that a plan based on willpower alone wasn't going to work, Aker adopted a different tactic. He took the batteries out of the remote and, using a stopwatch, hid them exactly 20 seconds away in a bedroom drawer. He also placed a guitar right next to the couch. That meant that whenever he sat down, his path of least resistance changed. Playing the guitar suddenly became easier than watching TV. By adding 20 seconds to his day, Aker gained three productive hours. It was an offer his willpower couldn't refuse. There are all sorts of ways to recreate this effect in our own routines. It could be moving unhealthy snacks to the back of a pantry, or sleeping in your gym clothes just to make going for a morning workout easier. But whatever habit you want to change, strive to make the desired action as easy as possible. The less energy it requires, the better chance it has of lasting. Let's take one last break before we wrap up our look into the happiness advantage Next part, we'll discuss your greatest asset when it comes to increasing your happiness.
3: Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memoedappcom insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights.
1: We're finishing our book insight on The Happiness Advantage. We'll discuss what author Sean Aker says is your greatest asset when it comes to happiness, and conclude with a quick recap of everything we've learned. One of the longest-running studies in the history of psychology has helped identify what separates the happiest lives from the unhappiest. Since 1939, the Harvard Study of Adult Development has tracked the well-being of 724 men, charting every aspect of their physical and mental health. Its scope has also expanded to include the men's children, which now number over 2,000 people. Such an enormous amount of data has allowed scientists to hone in on one X-factor relationships. The people who surround us, our spouses, family, friends, colleagues, and neighbors, have the greatest influence on the quality of our life. These connections protect us from hard times, help to delay mental and physical decline, and act as better predictors of long, fulfilling lives, more so than social class, IQ, or even genes. George Valant, who has directed the Harvard study for the last 40 years, summarized its findings with just one word, love full stop. Yet, so often in life, the pursuit of status and the material trappings of success cause us to detach ourselves from others. Students isolate themselves by pulling all-nighters. Employees cooped up in offices come back from work late, exhausted and irritable. The main reason we do this is an underlying belief that success requires personal sacrifice. Yet, this kind of isolation produces worse results, research shows, than those who have strong social support. It also leads to higher rates of stress, depression, exhaustion, and disease. Evolution has hardwired the need for social bonds into our biology. Every time we make a positive social connection, we experience a spike of oxytocin, a hormone that instantly reduces anxiety and improves focus. These positive connections also strengthen various networks within the body, meaning the more social contact we make, the better we function. Here's the author, Sean Aker, speaking on the value of social connections on the Harvard Business Review podcast.
2: If you develop social cohesion at work and at home, and this experiment actually helps people to do that, then they actually start finding more meaning in work, they connect to more people, their job satisfaction, their life satisfaction
1: skyrockets. As an example of how easy this can be, Aker mentions a Harvard student who organized a study group of six friends. They met regularly, shared notes, discussed readings ate lunch, and even made time for small talk. That empowered them to work efficiently in a pleasant atmosphere. At the same time, another classmate secluded herself in the library, believing that the path of success was best traveled alone. She neglected relationships for the sake of studying, and began to flounder, wishing she could transfer to another school. This brings us back to the received wisdom we questioned at the beginning of the book insight. Work hard, achieve success, and then you will be happy. As Aker regularly reminds us, this formula doesn't lead to happiness at all. Rather, social capital is our greatest asset. While developing a more positive mindset will naturally attract others, the real secret to success is to consciously invest in those relationships. This is especially important if you're a leader or supervisor in your organization. The psychologist Daniel Goleman, author of Emotional Intelligence, maintains that the relationship between manager and employee is the most important bond within the workplace. This vertical couple not only impacts productivity, but the length of time someone is likely to stay in their job. According to Gallup, American businesses lose an estimated $360 billion every year because of poor ties between employees and their supervisors. The solution, however, isn't complicated. A 2007 study found that employees of managers who gave frequent praise and encouragement performed 31% better than employees who had less positive managers. This doesn't mean you can never criticize or speak the truth, but it does mean you need to be careful of the ratio between praise and criticism. Studies have alighted on a perfect ratio of praise to criticism of 6 to 1. Teams where this is the norm tend to be highly productive and happier. Before moving on to the final part of this book insight, let's quickly recap the key points of Sean Aker's The Happiness Advantage. We started with seven simple happiness boosters to infuse more positivity into your daily life. They include exercise, looking forward to something, acts of kindness, great experiences, creating a positive environment, and practicing your signature strengths. Then, we learned about the importance of developing a happier mindset. The person who believes that change and growth are possible, grows and changes, and gets happier in the process. Next, we looked at achieving goals by breaking them down and experiencing a greater sense of control over your life. There's no point worrying about the things you can't control. Happy people know how to focus on small achievements that eventually add up to something big. Finally, we examined the power of social relationships, which give meaning to our lives and form the building blocks of true happiness. The Happiness Advantage is an informative guide to the most notable scientific studies on happiness. Along the way, it utilizes everyday examples to keep the material lighthearted and easy to understand. Nevertheless, as Aker makes clear, information is not transformation. You won't get happier or more productive until you consciously apply and incorporate some of the tips and techniques into your daily routine. The more you apply them, the more positivity you'll notice happening around you. The happiness advantage has drawn some criticism. In an article for the Harvard Business Review titled The Happiness Backlash, Allison Beard argued that practicing daily happiness as a means to long-term fulfillment is not a natural fit for everyone particularly those who find that such strategic cheerfulness feels forced. In another article for the Harvard Business Review, Andre Spicer and Carl Sederstrom, two professors of organizational behavior, argued that research into links between happiness and productivity has generated contradictory results. They cited a psychological study which found that focusing on happiness can actually make us feel less happy adding that some widely held beliefs about the role of happiness in the workplace can be debunked. There are also various scenarios in the workplace where happiness can be a proven disadvantage. One study cited found that people in a positive mood were worse at detecting acts of deception than those in a bad mood, while another found that angry people get better results in negotiations than those who were happy. Since The Happiness Advantage was first published in 2010, The field of positive psychology has placed greater emphasis on the importance of flourishing rather than feeling happy, per se. The state of happiness is now seen as a byproduct of improved well-being, but not the end goal. This line of thinking has been championed by Martin Seligman, the founder of positive psychology, most notably in his book, Flourish, A Visionary New Understanding of Happiness and Well-Being. Seligman once believed that everything we do ultimately serves to make us happy. But over time, he came to feel that the word happiness was overused and had become cliche. But over time, he came to feel that the word happiness was overused and had become a cliche. Instead, Seligman advocates a more well-rounded approach that encompasses other factors such as meaning and accomplishment. That said, The popularity of The Happiness Advantage and Aker's subsequent TED talk on happiness suggests that there is an enormous appetite for nurturing a more positive mindset. And even if constant happiness may be more complex to attain than Aker makes it sound, he provides a simple roadmap for getting started. He makes the point that if we study what is merely average, we will remain merely average. The purpose of positive psychology is to look at what happy people do that's different, then take lessons from it. Simply waiting for moments of positivity to come along limits our potential for success, whereas the slightest bit of effort can open up new worlds of possibility. Once we start making these changes, the effects quickly ripple outward, increasing the happiness of everyone around us. That is surely something worth pursuing.
3: Thank you for listening to Book Insights. Check out the rest of our content at memodap.com. Please keep in mind that the information provided in or through our Book Insights episodes is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for advice given by qualified professionals and should not be relied upon to disregard or delay seeking professional advice.